our secret sauce is we marry creative content with data. Because advertising, people block out content people fall in love with. So how do you make it from ads to content? And that's kind of what we've done for a lot of our clients. Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. Joining me today is Ted Lau, owner and CEO of Ballistic Arts. Founded in 2002, Ballistic Arts is a high-touch lead gen digital marketing agency focusing on online lead generation and brand awareness for North America's best-known brands, B2B professional services provider companies, and membership-based associations. Ballistic Arts has full divisions in lead generation, digital marketing, graphic design, video production, and web development. By marrying compelling creative content with precise lead conversion data, Ballistic Arts has successfully increased clients' leads by up to 650% while beating industry standard ad buys by 30 to 80%. Named to top 100 digital agencies by Clutch, as well as Business of the Year winner in the 11 to 30 employee category by the Tri-Cities Chamber of Commerce in Vancouver, Ted is grateful to have built one of North America's lead top lead generation digital marketing agencies. He is also a host of a marketing podcast, Marketing News Canada. Ted, welcome to the show. Carol, thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. So what, you know, there are zillions of people out there doing what it is that Ballistic Arts is doing. What's the problem you're solving for your customers? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So um, so Ballistic Arts is my company. I've had it for 20 years. It started in the room above my parents' garage. And we've had a few different target audiences that we've tried to help over the two decades of business. Uh, we've you know, addressed junior mining, real estate development, healthcare, membership-based associations. And, and our focus over the last several years has actually been to help B2B companies, primarily professional service providers, and B2B companies that are distributors and manufacturers who have been frustrated that digital marketing doesn't really work for them. Right. B2B marketing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, B2B doesn't really work for me. Uh, it ha- all, it's all about shaking hands and kissing babies, going to conferences. It's who you know. <laughs> and over COVID, mm-hmm. what happened was you can't network. You can't mm-hmm. go and meet people. And they started hearing that there is this company in their backyard that, hey, can actually get them sales leads. I'm a business developer in my shop. That's kind of the only thing that I really do now is I, I meet people and connect them with my great professionals, my creative folks, and my digital folks on my team. And when they were hearing what we were doing, they were like, well, you actually can get leads because I have that focus. I have the sales mentality. I think about, okay, well, how is this investment that this company is going to make going to provide a return? And so by hearing that, and then they're like, well, we got to furlough staff on one hand, but we got this government money. Let's, you know, can you, can you help? And it was kind of this 
Obi-Wan Kenobi, please help kind of scenario that happened. And we basically set metrics and said, okay, well, based on what you're going to spend, what is the return that you're hoping for? And then we go simply just do some simple math, right? We have clients that have really large average order sizes. They're usually companies that are, again, B2B, right? So it's like 50, 100, $150,000, $500,000 per engagement. So they don't necessarily need many, many deals a month. They need one or two deals a month on top of the business that they're already doing. And I'm their best friend. So let's say an, a company needs you know two, three new solid deals a month. And their conversion rate is, I don't know, 20%, so one in five. So I need to get them, what, 10 to 15 new qualified calls. A month. That's all we have to do. Right. And we're very targeted. Our secret sauce is combining compelling creative with precise data. So the left brain, right brain thing. Mm -hmm. And we're very turnkey. A lot of business to business folks are very business minded. Marketing is a necessary evil. Mm -hmm. And we turn it into a profit center as opposed to a cost center. So right. that's the problem we're trying to solve. And it's been a really good good journey. So speaking of journeys, um, you founded the company right out of, I mean, right out of college. So- Yes, ma'am. You know, the first thing I think about is, it's not like you had any experience doing this. You know, what in the world had you thinking that you could do this? <laughs> or that you, knew, and there, or that you <laughs> even knew what to, you were doing? Well, absolutely. And- that was the whole thing. So maybe back up slightly. So mm-hmm. I graduated. So I, I went up, I'm, I'm in uh, Vancouver, Canada. Mm-hmm. So we, in a particular school that I went to had trimester system. So you could yeah. actually finish school in December. So mm-hmm. I actually graduated, I finished all my courses in December of 20, 2001. Mm-hmm. So four months after 9-11. Mm-hmm. So I also, I did a communications degree where digital video, this new concept of digital video had just come on. We still, DVDs were still $15 a pop, mm-hmm. like blank DVDs, right? That's how long ago this was. VHS tapes were still around. Yeah, right, sure. I actually wanted to be a documentary filmmaker. I had a lot of friends. You know, Vancouver was considered Hollywood North. Mm-hmm. And they were like, Ted, come out. You're going to make tons of money, blah, blah, blah. And I was excited. I was, you know, pushing to finish school and go start making money. 9-11 happened and all production ceased. So not only did I not have those quote-unquote jobs lined up, I realized that being a documentary filmmaker, not just a filmmaker, the documentary part makes you not all that employable and you don't make a whole lot of money even if you were a documentary filmmaker. So I started volunteering, uh, just doing, you know, film projects and whatnot. And I had met one of my former business partners on an independent movie set. And we worked really well together. We submitted the project to, to a couple of festivals, but... What came out of it was he said, hey, do you want to start a business together? And being young, cocky, and naive, I said, sure. How hard could it be? Right. <laughs> right? The arrogance, the young, yeah. youthful arrogance yeah, of like, yeah. how hard could it be? Yeah, sure. And I remember, so I was just listening to a podcast earlier this morning. Um, I think it was Asians in uh, Advertising. Mm-hmm. And the fellow is a creative director or managing director of a large Uh, advertising agency out of New York. And Mm -hmm. he talked about imposter syndrome and, and, oh, he was so Mm -hmm. worried about how, and he still has that. I have never had imposter syndrome because I am not all that bright. I'm not that self-aware. I'm kind of like, I'm just going to do it. I'm the best there is and that's it. And that's literally (laughs) how we started the business. And I had a 
background mm-hmm. in in sales, actually. So mm-hmm. my first job growing up. So growing up as an Asian kid, mm-hmm. I have all my friends are, are white. Right. They all had allowances. Yeah. I did not have an allowance. Yeah, so right. I was I never either. able to buy anything. Yeah. Right. So I asked my mom for a job. And the legal age back then in Vancouver was 15 to work. Mm-hmm. I was 14, 13 and a half, and I still couldn't work. I begged my mom to get me a job. And so she, <laughs> she's a realtor, or she was a realtor. She made a resume where she was just homemaker. And sent it to the local fabric store where she could be a cold caller. And the job was they would print all these names on dot matrix paper. Remember those dot matrix, the green sure, and yellow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dot matrix paper. And I, for every call that I made, I got a quarter, like 25 <laughs> cents for every call that I made. So I, I loved it. It was dial- literally dial- not even dialing, dialing for, for dollars, dollars, dialing for quarters. <laughs> Right. Yeah, and right. so I'm calling and I'm calling, hello, Fran. This yeah. is Ted from Fabricland. And I was just, and I realized that I didn't care. Like, one, the old ladies, they love talking to me. Right. So it was, it was a really good way of getting into cold calling. I, mm-hmm. I, I was never intimidated. No one hung up on me. They were, I guess they just, I reminded them the grandkid. I don't know, whatever it was, yeah. but it was fantastic. And then all of my other odd jobs that I had, the ones that I did well in were like, sales. Like I sold sneakers, I sold computers at Staples, and it was just a thing. I could talk to people. And so when we started the company, on top of not having any experience, well, actually, we didn't have any experience and we had no network, no connection. And so the first six months of the business was we literally designed a logo, put up a five-page HTML website, and we literally naively thought, business is going to come to us. So we just laid back, business will come. Business did not come. So then I had two partners at the time and I said, guys, uh-huh. someone's going to have to do sales. Like we're not getting any business and uh-huh. we want this to go. Like, Cause this, this is a hobby until you start making money. Right. Uh, right. So I said, okay, one of us has to do sales. And the two guys were like, not it, not it. So immediately it was me, but I didn't care. I was like, uh-huh. okay, fine. So this is before Google. I had the phone book, the yellow pages. And Carol, I would, like today I'm calling restaurants. You know, it was by category. Right. Tomorrow I'm calling law firms. And I just call them like, do you need this? Do you need that? And we were a video production company at the time. And no one wanted video. Because like, remember, it was back with the CRT, the big TVs, clunky VHS DVDs. And I'm calling like mom and pa shops. I'm like, I don't even have a video yeah. like TV in, in my shop. Why right. would I need a video? But I saw that you designed your own brochure. I need a menu for my restaurant. Can you do that? And I was like, uh, yes, yes, I can. And they'd be like, how much? How much is that? And I'm like, uh, and I literally pulled a number out of my butt. Like, it's going to cost, I think it was like a thousand bucks. It doesn't cost a thousand bucks. I'm like, sure. And then so they oh paid us. God. And I'd call, go back to the office, which again was quote unquote the room above right, my parents' garage. garage. Yeah, right. I said, guys, I, I, sold a, I sold a brochure. <laughs> we designed a brochure or a menu. And so we did that. And then lo and behold, they're like, hey, you designed your website, this web thing isn't going away anytime soon. It seems like this fad isn't going to go away. Can you design me a website? Sure. How much would it be? And again, it was a thousand bucks. Right. And that's how we did it. And it's kind of like if you've ever watched The Simpsons, there's an episode where Homer loses his job and everyone in the family has to get a job. <laughs> and, you know, Bart says, I'm going to go a paper route. Yeah. Lisa says, I'm going to do. I can't remember what Lisa said. And then Marge says, I'm going to teach piano. 
And Lisa goes, but mom, you don't know how to play the piano, she says. (laughs) And her response was, you just got to be one lesson ahead of the kid. And that was kind of it. It was just brash, ignorance, arrogance, whatever you want to call it. And voila, 20 years later, here we are. That's fabulous. So uh, tell me a little bit about the mistakes you've made along the way as as a first-time founder. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, (laughs) uh, you only have a 40-minute show, I think, so I don't know... Um, which one of my plentiful plethora of mistakes well, I want to share? Then let me then let me maybe guide you a little bit. So sure. I would say the mistakes you've made around being a leader with your employees, right? That that's a lot of what this show is about. Um, yeah. And I would also say, and we'll get to this a little bit in more detail later, so you don't have to answer this now. But you know, mistakes you've made around hiring and talent strategy. But let's let's at least start mistakes as a leader. Yeah. Okay. So tons of mistakes as a leader. And I've, I've had a number of mentors in my day and as an entrepreneur and me, I came out of, like you said, college. So I didn't have a master's. I had friends that went off and did an MBA. And every time I made a mistake, it cost me money, not a little bit of money, like money. And my mentor would say, well, that's just tuition. Right. And so that's kind of, for me, how I learned to be okay with the mistakes. That is, I'm paying for this experience and I'm going to learn from it. In terms of how being a leader, I mean, there's many things, but what one lesson that came to mind was, so, um, you know, we talked about me being a little arrogant and brash. And so there's a joke when I was in college where people would say, oh, that Ted Lau, is he irate or is he just communicating? Meaning I am fairly aggressive in my Mm communication. It's not that I'm being aggressive. I don't mean to be aggressive. I came from, I come from a family of immigrant Chinese people Mm -hmm, where mm -hmm. the loudest person wins. I I know folks in the South also have this. I I come come from a Jewish family like this. Exactly. I come from a Jewish family. So I have a very good friend. She's Jewish. Mm -hmm. She's kind of my older sister. And we laugh about it all the Mm -hmm. time. I, I always say I came from a screamy Jewish family. (laughs) <laughs> Literally. I tell Screamy. I tell people that my parents are like the Costanzas, like George Costanza's parents. <laughs> yeah, Those right. are my parents, right? <laughs> so that was the kind of world that I was mm-hmm. in. And so I didn't I didn't take leadership training. Yeah, well, right. There and I noticed mm-hmm. that whenever I go into I, I said this to a friend of mine who also came up, he came up in corporate, I came up in, you know, my business. Mm-hmm. And we were having lunch one day. And I said, you know, I get the feeling that when I walk into the office, like people kind of change, right? Because I'm the, I'm the ang at the time. This is a, more than 15 years ago. And, and they're like, they get quiet and they're, they're, they're kind of a little bit more like their back straight and, and they're actually doing the work and, and it's less laid back. And I made that comment to uh, my friend and he was like, well, how are you when you're, you know, in with yourself? I'm like, well, actually, you know, like you see how like, cause my friend was like, you're so polite. He was a client too. He's like, you're so polite. You're loud, you're professional. And I'm like, well, that's actually kind of my, you know, client face. Yes, when I'm right. in the office, it's kind of like my house mm-hmm. and he makes terribly, he's a Jewish fella as well. And he makes terribly dark, inappropriate jokes when we have lunch. So I'm like, how do you, are you like that at work? He's like, hell no. And I'm like, but, so with clients or not? And he's like, he sees his workplace, regardless if he's the boss of the department, as it's not his house. 
And I had to actually make that delineation that like, as much as it's my business and these are my quote unquote employees, I mean, you know, all that ain't my house. I can't talk like that. And it took a long time to learn that. And in fact, I'm still learning that because it is something that is ingrained in me as a young, young person. Right. And so I've had to kind of learn from that. I've taken other leadership programs to, to learn how to be more vulnerable and authentic, the name of your show, right? With my my staff as a leader. And that also took something because for somebody who was never vulnerable, who was mm -hmm. never, didn't understand compassion or self-compassion, that when I tried to be vulnerable, I sounded like a victim, like a crying, crazy mm -hmm. victim that... Like, you know, you saw the the LinkedIn guy that like just you you saw that there's been viral where he was the CEO and he fired a bunch of people, he had to lay off a bunch of people and he started crying and he got he got trolled. So that was kind of me. Like you, you so I had to find this balance of like vulnerability and responsibility. Right. And also understanding that, you know, people spend half of their waking life at my shop. Let's make it a, a better experience. So that was that was some tough learning. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if, if you if you look back on that and where you are now, let's say you put yourself on a scale of one to 10, right? So you were probably a zero when you started. You minus, know, five. <laughs> minus five. Or minus five. <laughs> <laughs> um, where would you put yourself on, would you say, your leadership capabilities now on that scale of one to 10? Oh, man. I mean, when I look at all the great leaders out there, I'm, I don't, I can't put a candle to them. I think that's the saying, but it, it's, um, I, I, I don't know, quite frankly, because. So the question is, do you still have, do you still have somewhere to go and things to learn? Hell yeah, absolutely. This is why I'm doing this. Then, I mean, you're never right? a 10, right? So I think, you know. Not or, that I'm never a 10. I, I actually try not to rate myself on a scale again, immigrant Chinese family. The moment I have a scale of one to 10, I get depressed if I'm under a nine. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, right. And, but, and by the way, that's an opportunity for coaching, but that's for another conversation. Yeah, that's probably another. Absolutely. It was more of a joke than anything you else. Know, it, but it, I, it's I, not too different well, from the family I grew up in, right? You know, every, every Jew's a doctor, a lawyer, you know, something else like accountant. that. Accountant. Yeah. No, yeah. You yeah, know, absolutely. whatever. Right. And so so. so for, for myself, I think that I, have, I have a lot, a lot more to learn. So a few years ago, I had had a Remember, I had a business, a couple of business partners. So one partner left uh, very early on, but I stayed with the other partner. He actually stayed with me uh, for about seventeen years, and then um, year sixteen, year seventeen, we split, and it was, you know, not dissimilar to a divorce where you know yelling right. parents and kids going, "What the hell?" And then the office walls are a little too thin. Yes, and so you can go on my glass door you know, ballistic arts glass door, and you will read a whole bunch of one star glass door reviews of, of my time. leadership and how it's, yep. I'm a such a terrible human being mm -hmm. and all this kind of stuff. And there was a lot of humble pie there mm -hmm. because it wasn't like they were completely off base. Sure, sure there was a number of things that I'm not going to go into that were false. And there was still a semblance of truth in all of their complaints. And so we did a lot of digging a lot of me personally did a lot of soul searching of what we can do to make it not that anymore. And it helped that, you know, the business partner, he's no longer in my shop. I get to make all the calls in terms of where we're going. 
and the direction. And now my wife has actually come on as the HR director. And so she's coming with, you're rolling your eyes there, but it's actually been a very beautiful experience yeah. for us. It's actually mm. made us stronger okay. as, a, as a couple. And she's coming on with a very different lens. Does she have experience? Uh, no, she was the bookkeeper. Right. So that's why I'm rolling my eyes. But go yeah, on. yeah, no, and that's and that's totally fine. But she's learning on the job, and I think because I'm also a little mm-hmm. bit more receptive because mm-hmm. I also had zero experience. I'm like, well, if she wants to do it, let's give her a whirl, right? And um, she's been fantastic, quite frankly, right? Like the the staff love her. They give her great ratings. They they talk to her about personal things because she's a listener. I'm the talker, right? Mm-hmm. She's a listener. Well, that's she's good. Actively listening. Yep. She processes information very well. Um, and and she she sees between the lines. Mm-hmm. She has a very good gut sense to her. Good. And that's something oh at least about about staff. And so mm-hmm. that's it's been a it's been a beautiful journey and good. And we get to learn. And I was very upset. I'm not gonna lie, Carol, like holy crap, like every other month, because I had a bunch of turnover when when good. me and my partner yeah. split. Right. And so everyone that left gave a terrible review. Now yeah. well, it's come back. That's not that's not better. uncommon. It's not fun though. Well, I'm not saying uh, it is. I'm just saying it's not uncommon when that happens. By anonymous, right? Like it was written by anonymous. And it's like, I know who you are and half of those things aren't true, but it's okay. Like, fine. I'm not going to go and ask Classdoor to take it down. I'm going to learn from it. And we have, I'd invite anyone to go read it and uh, see what my responses are. And I'd love to see what their take is about it. But it's been, it's actually, we've actually taken that issue and create it as an opportunity to hire the people that we want that fit our culture. Good. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that. Um, as you said, you had a lot of turnover. What was the, what actually caused that turnover? Was it people who, you know, thought, well, you know, this guy's the asshole and the guy who's leaving is the guy I like. And so I'm leaving. <laughs> uh, not quite. Certainly there was that. There was jokes back in the day of, you know, my former partner, was the regular boss and I'm the boss boss, even though we're 50-50, yeah. right? And uh, so there was there was a semblance of that. Also, I was, you know, I was the biz dev guy. I let I let my, my former partner run the operations and I, you know, bring the business. But in terms of the, the turnover, what caused it at that time right. was the split was one thing. Right. The, and which was like, it was just... I've never gone through that. I've never gone through a divorce. Mm-hmm. I've I've, I've got, had two small breakups in high school. My my wife is my you know my college sweetheart, right? Uh-huh. So, um, this was nasty. Yeah, and there was egos involved. So sure. that yeah. didn't bode well for the security. Mm-hmm. Like the people going that are working there, like holy shit! Like mom and dad are fighting. Like mm-hmm. am I, so they're jumping ship for that. Yeah, and then some. So I ended up wanting to change direction in the company. I had a number of reasons for it, but primarily I wanted to help B2B companies who are kind of the backbone of the economy yes. who don't really know what they're doing from a marketing mm-hmm. standpoint. I wanted to help them get actual business through marketing. And when I made that pivot, I was at that time, we were one of the pinnacle design agencies for luxury real estate and real estate developers, period, in Vancouver. So I don't know if you've heard about this where you are, but in Vancouver, it's got this uh, un, uh, this unaffordable living issue, the housing crisis. And but if you come to Vancouver, you will see it's a beautiful city, right. you know, a lot of high rise, a lot of lot of development. And we were one of the guys, one of the agencies that did that. And so we had a, a huge creative team, a big video team, all creatives, branding, website, 
And I said, up in my boardroom saying, so we're making a pivot. We're going to go into you know digital marketing and lead generation. And people were just like, I so talk about disgruntled, another challenge. I actually had, right. and at the time, this was also, people were already upset. They're already sensitive mm-hmm. to the fact that like the partner split and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And this guy's now doing a 180 going completely different. And people were just completely jaded. I had people yelling at me in my boardroom, like, what the hell are you doing? And da, da, da. You don't know what the F you're doing, right. all this kind of stuff. And um, that was that was the crux of it is that I changed direction. And I actually said, look, this is the opportunity. This is the future. I think digital, like if you look at advertising agencies, those that have made the pivot to digital marketing, whatever sphere mm-hmm. are the ones that have survived. If you are still just doing branding and creative, you're like one, two, three people at this point. Right. And so that's why I wanted to make the pivot as from a business survival and, and business thriving standpoint, they just saw it as like, well, you don't know creatives or you don't know what the hell you're doing. So I'm out, peace out. And along the way, they left some disgruntled messages. Right. And again, not not really uncommon. So what, you know, once, once the divorce happened, um, mm-hmm. I, I, what did you do and what did you learn and how did you pivot to determine, you know, this is, I mean, did you have to change your culture, um, the type of people you were hiring? You know, what did you, how did that, all that happen for you? All of it, yeah. all of it. So yeah. I did change all of it. And so, um, yeah, you probably can tell I'm a fairly wear my emotions on my sleeves type of human being. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, depression runs in my family my lineage. And so didn't know that at the time. You again, immigrant family, you don't talk about that. It wasn't even a thing. It was just like, oh, sad. You know, <laughs> that was, that was kind of, oh, they're just, they're just hiding. They don't, they don't need to talk to anyone right now. That, that was kind of thing. And so I did have that. So, so I had an ego. I think if you look at it and from the coaching standpoint, as you were talking about, there need some coaching is that it was to mask all this other stuff, right? I talked about, you know, not understanding compassion for others. I had high expectation of others because I had lacked empathy. I lacked self-compassion. And through this divorce and people leaving and the negative this and that, and like we had at the time we had, like basically I had a pretty smooth run for the first 17 years of the business. And with for 14 months, everything that could happen, happened. Taxman mm-hmm. drew a lottery and said, hey, we're doing an audit. I got sued from a client because they didn't know how to read a contract properly. I had the 80% turnover from staff. I had like, we were losing money because real estate was down to downturn, all this stuff. So I had a men- I had a freaking mental breakdown and I actually, my, and me and my wife, again, college sweetheart, we rarely fight. Like prior to that, I think I could, we fought maybe like a handful of times in our entire relationship. And within those 14 months, I got yelled at like every other week. Like it was just like, it was pretty, yeah. pretty intense. And yep. so she said, you know what? I can't really help you here. Um, you need to look for professional yep. help. So I went to see a couple of doctors mm-hmm. and the first one told me I got to take a three. He was like, you got to take at least three months mental health break. I'm like, um, <laughs> I can't because if I did that, there's no business to come back to. Mm-hmm. So didn't work with him. And I, I worked with another fellow who told me, look, you can't go away, but you can take breaks, longer breaks. So he would get me to take date lunches with myself. Just, you know, don't think about the business for a few hours. Do something that you like. Right. And so I remember one July really a few important. years ago where I'd be sunbathing 
in my backyard with an iced tea and reading a book and feeling super guilty about it, but I <laughs> yeah, was something right. that I needed, right? <laughs> I also read a lot of books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Ryan Holiday's The Obstacle is the Way was mm-hmm. really important. Um, I, I listened to that book on repeat like it was a an Aerosmith album. <laughs> I listened to uh, Pema Chodron. She's a Buddhist monk mm-hmm. who has, I think the she's from New York, has the largest monastery in Atlantic Canada now, or maybe it's in New York. And uh, she has a book called When Things Fall Apart. And both of those books I listened to in Ignatium. And it got me to understand that why I had such a high expectation for people is because I had such a high expectation for myself and I actually lacked a whole lot of self-compassion. And so realizing that and accepting the fact that like your emotions come up and you, you can be in control of that. Like you can't control your emotions coming up, but you can actually... Now that you notice it, well, you can do something about it. And so being more self-aware of where my blind spots are helped me be a different person. Right. And because I've become a very different person, like my friends are like, wow, who is this guy now? Compared to who I was, I'm able to stress less, be more collaborative, and able to bring on different team members. Now, the old guy still shows up because he's still got the fire and the passion. That guy's still there and I love him for it. And it's kind of like your greatest strengths is also your greatest weakness. So I recognized that I was using the hammer that I had for everything. So everything's a nail when not everything's a nail. There's Mm -hmm. other tools in your toolbox that you got to learn from. So empathy leadership is something that I've learned over time and I'm still learning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, what you've described is something I talk about at length and, you know, work with my clients about, and it's, you know, it's discovering those blind spots and without, without actually getting what that blind spot is, you can't put a structure in place to keep it from limiting you. Mm-hmm. Right. And that sounds like that's what you're start that's what you've started to do. Right. Put those structures yeah. in place. You know, who you are, um, that guy will always be there. That mm-hmm. it's always gonna Absolutely. be who you are. The question 100%. is when that guy, when you realize that guy's showing up, when you see him start to show up, what's the structure you've got to put in place so that he doesn't start keep you know, go back to limiting you and your progress. Yeah, exactly. And like your I, forward again, progression. there's there's strengths yeah. in the passion, the fire, of and the course there is. That I have. It's what it's what's and helped you win, not, right? But yeah, you know, and sometimes it doesn't work. That's right, and and that's the important thing is those things that help people win in business and in life are not always positive. Mm-hmm. You know, the impact on others is not necessarily positive. So it's being able to take those things and adjust them such that you can continue to win, but in a way that supports those around you. Yeah. And and I think I also, I did change my business model mm-hmm. as well. That mm-hmm. so that would be more conducive to my personality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we've done that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have a structure. So I have many structures that have supported me, mm-hmm. right? So I, I meditate every day, mm-hmm. not long, but mm-hmm. I meditate every day. Yeah. I have a grateful I do too. exercise, mm-hmm. a grateful journal mm-hmm. that I do. I actually do that with my my family around the dinner table. So rather than, you know, I think some, some families in the, at least in the fifties would, would say grace. We mm-hmm. don't say grace. We don't, we don't have any religion affiliations, but we will go around the table and just go, what am I grateful for right. today? And then we choose a word of mm-hmm. who we want to be. And that's a way to at least start the day, a way to end the day. It's a great way to have conversation sure. as, as, as a family. And, um, and yeah, I think I just also surround myself with positive people. I mm-hmm. don't listen. I used to be a huge Nine Inch Nails fan. Okay, you could probably imagine. I don't even know if you know who they are. Of the industrial band, yeah. crazy, angry. 
And I Not don't really choose to listen to them. Who they are. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, you, you don't really need to listen to them. Yeah. Um, and I start I started listening to more positive type music, and my mm-hmm. friends laugh at me. What is this like happy clappy type music? And I'm like, well, it keeps me happy. Mm-hmm. I'm good. I'm thinking right. more positively. Whereas mm-hmm. I'm very much a pessimist uh, in the in back in the day, and and now I'm much more optimistic. Mm-hmm. That's really fantastic to hear. So. Uh, early on, I talked about the competitive nature of digital marketing. I mean, Mm. you know, you can only imagine the, and I talk about this ad nauseum as well, the spam I get on email and LinkedIn, people trying to pitch me, you know, digital marketing lead gen solutions. And I delete all of them because Mm. their messages are horrible. And I'm thinking, well, if this is how you're reaching out to me, what in the world would make me want to do business with you? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you do, you do basically really high touch, solution. So how do you, Ted, how do you really separate yourself from the red ocean? Yeah. So it, it, it's a great, great question. Actually, the blue ocean was a, a book that I read. Yeah. Blue ocean strategy. Mm-hmm. Blue ocean strategy mm-hmm. that, that got me thinking about this. Good. So again, we focus on a very niche audience. Okay. B2B, 11 to 50 employees. Ah. You're either a professional service provider mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or you're a distributor, a manufacturer. Those are two very mm-hmm. underserved communities mm-hmm. because one, as a marketer, you don't typically dream of helping, you know, a mid-size M&A law firm or a data research mm-hmm, company mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. a company that sells playground equipment. You know, it's just not something that you aspire to. You want the Nikes, you want the Lululemons, you mm-hmm. want to, I'm a New England Patriots fan. You want to do marketing for the Patriots, right? Mm-hmm. Like those kinds of things. Don't hate me. I know you're in Colorado, but you know, either way, the idea is that there is an underserved market who has a pain, like you said, like I have this one client, I love him, where he's an older gentleman, professional service provider, again, uh, B2B company. They do liquor licensing and cannabis licensing. And uh, when he first came to us, he was like, oh, you people, you know, you people have screwed me out of so much money. Yeah, no right? surpri- he didn't no work surprise that us. was his experience. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That was that. And, and, and he didn't want to work with us. Yeah. And his COO, though, is kind of, you know, my age and she's the one in charge of growing the company. He's older and COVID had just happened mm-hmm. and he is in the at risk group because he's a senior citizen. Yeah, right. Right or senior-ish yeah, citizen, yeah, anyway. Yeah. And so she's like, "Well, we we got to try something." And it's usually a six-month minimum program that we do. And within the first six weeks, gentleman is like calling a come to Jesus meeting, like, "You guys are screwing our," and he started saying that. And I had one of my account managers there, and he's like, "Well, actually, um, within the six weeks, and six weeks is not early. Like, we're still just trying to get to know each other." but we've already beaten your main competitor on Google. He had terrible rankings. We already beat your main competitor on Google and we got you five leads and you landed one deal already. And he, this is on Zoom, right? And so he's like, kind of like he's got his arms crossed. I don't know if you can see me, but yeah. he's got his arms crossed and he's looking, he's, he's looking got at that the camera. Look, yeah, right. his, his that, that body there. language. <laughs> that body language. And then he turns to his CEO and she's like, yeah, it's so-and-so client. And he literally went from, Arms crossed like this too. Young man, 
it's an honor and privilege to work with you. And oh, it was like, God. whoa. And so it's yeah. been it's been great. We've been getting them a ton of projects. Mm-hmm. They they get usually five or six deals a month. Uh, their close rate's higher now. It's 45, I think, percent of all the leads that we Fantastic. get for them, which is pretty good, right? It, and so it's 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 slightly blue. You know, I wouldn't call it like completely blue ocean. We're not right. like Cirque du Soleil or whatever they said in the book. And it did give us an ability. The other thing is that our secret sauce is we marry creative content with data. You sometimes will have a creative company that knows nothing about social mm-hmm. or SEO or PPC, or you have a PPC company or an SEO company that just wants to get you ads, but they have no idea, like you said, how to build a relationship online. Mm-hmm. Right, how to speak to the audience that's compelling because right. advertising people block out content, people fall in love with. So, how do you make it from ads to content? So, I do, I do co-host a podcast called Marketing News Canada, and one of the guests that came on, he's out of South Carolina, and he said, you know, you got to make bingeable content. You got to make content like people consume Netflix. And I never thought of it like that, but it's true because when people start actually researching, they want to read everything at once. But if you have a plethora of content on your website, or you can you know, take long form content and make it into snackable pieces mm-hmm. to put on social, it's a really good way for you to be seen as a thought leader okay. and a trusted advisor. Right. That's kind of what we've done for a lot of our clients. And I mean, it's worked. When was it that you discovered, Ted, that you were focusing, you know, in the B2B space, primarily service providers in the 11 to 50 employee range? How did you, how did you come to that? It's like anything in life. It's kind of trial and error. Yeah. I had mentioned, you know, when we first started, we were working with junior mining companies and mm-hmm. that was because mm-hmm. one of my friends in college, his dad ran a junior right. mining company. And so like, Hey, they need <laughs> yeah, that. Right? right. Sure. And then I bumped into so somebody you know. after the Olympics <laughs> in Vancouver and they wanted us right. to, he was, happens to be a developer and he wanted mm-hmm. us to do development. Mm-hmm. And so when I first started the lead generation digital marketing, Mm -hmm. it was not, we were focusing on B2B. Again, it's like, oh, B2B, what are we talking about? And can we do it? Mm Because we, oh, I'll tell you another story is that I, so remember that I I did the pivot. Everyone was so jaded. I'm like, we're going to do lead gen Mm -hmm. digital marketing. Mm -hmm. I will pay Mm -hmm. for courses. I will, I've already registered the company. I'll pay for courses. Who wants to take it? No one took me up on the offer. So I'm like, screw you guys. I'm going to take the course myself. So I went down and took the course myself. And the final assignment was a project that you could do on any kind of company. You just had to, you had to show a digital marketing plan. Mm-hmm. So I did one and I swapped the school logo with my logo mm-hmm. and put my client's name into the plan. One of my trusted clients. So mm-hmm. I went up to my client, showed him the, the, the PowerPoint. I'm like, so what do you think? Is this something that you would buy? And it's the same thing as I did, you know, the very beginning of the company. So, so what do you think? What do you, do, do you think this is something you would like? Oh my God, that's exactly what we need. Right. Oh, so how much, how much do you think you would pay for that? And they'd be like, I'd pay this much a month. I'm like, okay, well, here's my contract. Mm-hmm. Funny enough, you know, this is going to work. And so that's kind of how we did it. And over time we realized, okay, some, we were more successful than others. Mm-hmm. And then we just, started pattern recognition, right? You have the data, you know how what's effective. And it very quickly showed B2B, mm-hmm. we're way more successful. Mm-hmm. Professional service got providers, it. we're really good at. Distributors and manufacturers, which you'd never think. Like I got it, like I said, I have a playground company. They have to target mm-hmm. landscape architects. They have to target municipalities. Mm-hmm. I have another client, this data research company that has to target, you know, 
Amazon and Nintendo right, size right. clients mm-hmm. that are they're trying to target their directors of research. Like who does that? But my data team has been so I had to bring on a data team. They have been so precise at it, and then we have really good content, and then voila, mm-hmm. it's working. That's terrific. I, I have to assume that you get your prospects via how you get other people prospects through your own digital marketing, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Got so it. we have a great team um, in-house, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I, it, it would, to be truthful, it was very, it was a bit of a challenge at first mm-hmm. because it's kind of like that cobbler's children. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah, think well, you've ever heard of that. Like the, the, shoe shoe ma- the shoemaker's children have no Shoemaker's shoes. children, yeah, right? Yeah. And so uh, we were so busy with client work that my stuff, like my stuff, yeah. the, the business stuff yeah. got on the back burner. Our website just launched earlier this year. It, it took 18 months to build, right? Because we were so busy with other client work. So we actually had to make it that Ballistic Arts, my company, had to be a client yes. in my company yes. where I'm the client and then they have designated hours. That I don't care. You have to do it. Still not perfect, but we're starting to happen. And so we get, you know, just we have a lead goal. Things are happening. Some of our um, new, new bigger clients have come from that, and and um, it's been it's been fabulous. Great. So, you know, away we go, and and we do the same thing that we we do with our clients. In fact, we're probably doing a little bit more because I'm willing to invest in that because I have internal resources. Um, but yeah, you, you gotta, you gotta do that, but it doesn't mean that it's the magic bullet. You still have to have a good product. You still have to be good with people. You still have to build a network, right? Well, of course you do. Yeah. So you, you mentioned that, uh, uh, your clients have to make a six month commitment, which is again, not uncommon. What's the, what's the, uh, revenue model? The revenue model is dependent on the client. Cause I've got clients that are very much, you know, if I sell playground equipment, it's going to be this. If I'm a data research company, it's going to be that. Mm-hmm. So it's really how it, you mean like the packages revenue model? Or you like yeah, the I mean, what are people for, paying for you? Co- you know, B2B, 11 to 50 employees, service providers. Yeah. So we Let's typically start that. with a digital marketing strategy plan. Mm-hmm. That's your blueprint. Mm-hmm. That tells you, hey, this is this is the road to success. And that's usually, give or take, anywhere between five to seven grand. One-time fee. That's your blueprint. It takes about a month to, to create. And we go through competitive analysis, where your competitors are weak, what's your brand positioning, what's your tra- what's your target market. And it, and it goes fairly um, high level. And then from there, we dig into what we call your ghost, your goals, objectives, mm-hmm. strategies, and tactics. And your goals are typically, I want more sales. But then the objective that we create is very much smart. I need 25% growth in this sector by December 2022. Three, something mm-hmm, like that, mm-hmm. right? And then my our team will create strategies and tactics that are we only. That's the other secret is that we only do things that are going to be in service of that goal, right? Whereas you get a lot of marketing companies, and it's just like the principal's gut sense going, "Oh, you need a new website, you need a new brand." Well, how is that exactly going to drive the sales, right? So that's the difference that we do. Then we create a three to six month go to market plan. And then our clients pay anywhere from usually five to eight grand a month. And then there's ad spend on top of that. I do have many clients that are paying uh, quite a bit more. I have a couple that are paying a bit less, but give or take, that's where you're going. Mm-hmm. Got it. So, it, 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 you know, we're running short on time and, and you know, I could, I could sit here and talk to you for another hour, but we both have things to do. So what would you say, um, 
you know, you, you've you've obviously had a lot of large com- clients. You've had some smaller clients. You know, when I was reading your background, I you know, Century Twenty One, KPMG, Raymond James. Mm-hmm. These are massive companies, well beyond mm-hmm. the eleven to fifty employees, right? Um, but you know, it, it, you are you will you take those as they come in? Does it just depend? Because that's not you know, if that's not your sweet spot. You mean the larger companies? Yeah. Yeah, so we actually so we actually have two parts of our company, right? So we have the digital marketing lead gen co- group, which is the usually, I want to say 85% of our clients mm-hmm. in that digital marketing lead gen is the 11 to 50 employee yeah. size. But then we have clients that hire us just for the one-off services, right? The video, the websites, the, and those are the C-spans, the Century 21s and mm-hmm. whatnot. Mm-hmm. But we do work with some so um, some companies like Century 21 where they they come on and they they have us do their SEO because they they have a team that is already so busy so they need us to support them and so that's that's fine too and we work with financial institutions like that as much as they are large as an organization their team in house is actually a, a small business in and of itself it. it's its own yep. business unit and so that's how we've we've functioned um, yeah and it's been it's been a successful model I'm not going to turn away the large clients. But our primary goal is to, I want to help the backbone of the economy. That's that's really my mission. Right. Okay. So um, a, a, as you've alluded to, I understand you're a pretty big uh, NFL fan, even though you're even though you're a great Northern Canadian. Yes, um, ma'am. And that you're uh, into cooking plant-based. Are you vegan? Uh, I, well, I... So I, I can't say that I'm vegan because I'm sitting in a leather chair right now and I have some leather shoes and, mm-hmm. and whatnot, but... Yes, my diet is completely plant based. Um, it happened over COVID. I I, I might have turned forty uh, a couple of years ago, and um, I have most of my friends are older than me, and they're like, ah, when you turn forty, your body starts breaking down. I'm like, shut up, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm fit, I'm fine. <laughs> There's that arrogance. I went for a run. I went for a run. It was like maybe an hour and a half run over COVID, and I'd done done a couple of runs over COVID, but like this one was a longer run. And then the next day, Carol, I woke up and my back just gave out. I've never had that before. Yeah, wait till you turn and so 50. I spent the next several months <laughs> trying to research how to lower inflammation, right. all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I, 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 the last night I was a meat eater, I had made a huge lamb roast and four different types of seafood, red wine, all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I hopped, and my wife's now doing the dishes and I'm watching, it was a Saturday night, I'm watching this sports health science, supposedly, Netflix documentary mm-hmm. called Game Changers. Yes, and great, great documentary. It. Yep. And halfway through, I'm like, wait a minute, this is vegan propaganda. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, what is this? Yeah. yeah. But it kind of made sense. And I yeah. just kind of loudly said in our room uh, to my wife, like, maybe, maybe we should try this. And and my wife's like, couldn't hurt. And the next day, I was like, we're doing this. And I haven't looked back. My wife and my daughter are more flexitarian. Like I cook in the house. I cook every meal. And so Sunday to Thursday, they're plant based, and then Friday, Saturday, we're usually ordering out or going out, and they'll mm-hmm. choose. And they'll, to yeah, they'll choose not to be. Too. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. That's kind of how I am. So, well, that's really fantastic. So, um, if somebody's listening to this, because you know you have a small company, you, you have you know just short of twenty employees. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe there's. I, I mean, is there room for hiring new people? Are you, you know, are you wanting are to grow your company? Hiring. Okay. So that said, yeah. If somebody listening to this podcast is thinking, oh, this is this is kind of interesting. Uh, does everybody have to live in Canada? 
Are you hiring remotely? No, ma'am. I got people in San Fran, okay, and Spain. So, oh, okay, got it. So I, I'm interested in this company. I know digital marketing. I'm th- I think I'm pretty cool. I'd love to, you know, entertain working for them. What should they do? Well, they should go and go to ballisticarts.com. Okay. We got a ton of different opportunities on ballisticarts.com. Mm-hmm. They can apply. They can also email our inbox, engage at mm-hmm. ballisticarts.com and apply, but usually apply through the the links themselves would, would be great. Okay. And yeah, we lo- we're always looking for talented folks okay. and we are in a growth trajectory right now after pivoting the business. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, we're, we're hiring three positions right now. Fantastic. Well, Ted Lau, owner and CEO of Ballistic Arts. Uh, in the great in Great Northern Canada, um, it's really been a pleasure to talk to you. This was really a really fun conversation for me. Thanks for being. I with had me. a lot of fun, Carol, and thank you for letting me vent a little. It was fun. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com/podcast/apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.